Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Um, today, for breakfast, I delayed it because I cleaned the house. I don't know if you noticed, Bernie. <laughs> I did notice. <laughs> I noticed you had your self-cleaning slippers on. Yeah. <laughs> well, I haven't taken them off oh. all day. <laughs> How um, do you do that with the table? Do you just dance on the table? <laughs> Put your legs up in the air to do the shelves and everything. Well, there is a, a Pilates exercise that I do quite mm. often in the gym, and, it's, and it says, "Imagine you're sweeping the table with your leg." <laughs> so is that that's exactly what you've done? <laughs> yeah, and then I had a fried egg. <laughs> is that your go-to when there's an awkward silence? <laughs> <laughs> A friend of a friend used to have a thing where, where they used to say, well, and yeah, well, then I went to Harrods and bought a loofah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was their go-to if there was an awkward silence. <laughs> or if someone you've been bitching about suddenly appears. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember that. Do I know this person? No, you don't. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> However, the conversation, I walk into a room and there's a conversation about loofers. <laughs> okay. They're natural, aren't they? they they're alive creatures. Mm, yeah, well, I bought loads of that. So all of my scourers are like loofer. Mm. Natural things. I've got a terrible problem with mascara. I just seem to automatically, whenever I go to the supermarket, forget that I need one. So I've been using the same scourer probably for about 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's environmentally friendly too. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. they keep advertising them on Instagram to me. Right. And they're like, this is made out of plastic. So once you throw it in the bin, you it takes know. 150 years. Yeah. To... And I'm like, well, I'm still using mine from the 90s. Yeah. Maybe you can put it in the washing machine. I don't know. I have done that as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, should we start then? All right, then. Welcome to What? That Old Queen. A candid and adult take on queer life quandaries at a certain age. So please listen at your own discretion. Presented by Bernie and Tommy, their views are their own and in no way reflect those of any service you may hear this programme on. Now, let your ears be upstanding for the <coughs> old Queen. 
coming. Hello, you. <laughs> Can you tell that I've been watching The Crown? <laughs> Is that who says that on the crown? It's how the Queen and Princess Margaret always greet each other. Right. Hello, you. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure someone's said that to me on Grinder. Are they referencing the crown? I have no idea. Well, maybe they are now. Well, because of the the, the old Queen connection. Yeah. Oh, yes. I didn't even think about that. I actually had someone who approached me on Grinder the other day, and they was like, I think they may have said hello, you, and I was like, oh, hello, and they were like, oh. It's been a long time, hasn't it? <laughs> and I was like, don't recognise you. And he went, we've, we've chatted slash met before. Did you work out in the end? No, I said, I'm, I, my response was, I'm sure I would have remembered that. And then he didn't respond. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't really know what to say to that. Well, what do maybe, you say? Maybe he's just composing the... Reply. It's taken a while. Composing a retort to mm. someone who doesn't remember them. Mm. Yeah, don't know. Awkward. Anyway, how's your week been? Well, my grinder was on fire last week because I was um, presenting my show at the Wardrobe Theatre, which is just the theatre in my street, basically. Mm. Very convenient. Um, yeah, people wanting to know more about how to get tickets and how long the show lasts and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> so d- did you respond to all of them or did you just send them a link to the, <laughs> to, to the website? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I responded to everyone, yeah. I'm good like that. Well, that's good. I guess it's another form of social media. You could probably go pro and offset it against tax in that case. Yeah. <laughs> It's true. You can say it was marketing. It's my outreach work. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And how was the show? I did come along to see it. I loved it. I thought it was great. You said that like you had to tell me that you were... Because we did speak after. Yeah, we did. (laughs) In fact, I was so hungover the next day. It was crazy because we had a few drinks after, didn't we? Yeah, I think I was probably also hungover it was great it was great to do a show for that for a whole you know a whole week and just get really down with the material mm. um and it definitely developed over, over the course of the week and had really good audiences and really good responses i found it quite tiring um and so most of the day i didn't really do very much apart from watch laser telly mm. which was nice <laughs> so what telly have you been watching well i have just watched that program called The Watcher, which I know oh, yes. you watched. Yeah. yeah. What did you think of the ending? It was slightly disappointing, like you said. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't really come to anything. But what was interesting for me was I felt like art was mirroring life in some respects because I felt very. I think when some, when something plants, it's that seed in the head that someone's watching you. I became very aware that maybe someone was watching my flat. And as it transpires, they were, because that week, at the beginning of the week, my patio table was stolen. And then, and I wasn't in. Um, but then at the end of the week, I was in. And I went, came back from a run, and the chairs were stolen after. So they came back for the rest? Yeah. Do you think it's just an admiring fan who wants your furniture? I mean, it's a lovely shade of red, but it was only from... Asda. So I would have preferred to have just given them a link. Yeah, exactly. It's Yeah, that's such a weird thing to take, isn't it? Out of all the things you could take. 
Have you you haven't noticed them appearing in one of your neighbours' front gardens? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. Um but um luckily the local pub has stepped in and said that they'll give me theirs. Oh lovely. Mm, which which local pub? The Phoenix. Oh lovely. Yeah. Oh great. Mm. So well let's hope they don't steal those as well. Well, I'm gonna write a letter I'm gonna write something on the table that says like if you still stole this table and chairs, I'll put a curse on you. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we've already put a curse on the previous people, but it's probably best to warn them beforehand, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and of course, time? I am a celebrity. Get me out of here. Have you seen any of that? Um, no, not no, yet. I didn't think you would. No, I'm not really you're, into the you're too highbrow. Re- reality TV. I yeah. don't know if I'm highbrow. I just don't really watch those programs. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Boy George is on it. Oh, because yeah. I saw Boy George on Drag Race UK. Yeah. Well, I presume that was filmed a while ago. Yeah. yeah. It was quite. I thought he was a little bit disappointing. He didn't really save anything. He probably was doing it reluctantly because he needs the money, but he, I can't imagine that he would actually go in for the kind of new wave drag thing, would he? I don't know. I mean, it was it was very complimentary, but it, it just wasn't... I think he just got a little bit lost. You know when they do the runway and they do all the puns? Was he in his own head? He might have been in his own head. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. apparently the... the the young the young boy that he tied up in his flat mm. um, has has reported to have said, you know, like he's able to say, "I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here." I wasn't <laughs> able to do that when I was tied up in his flat. <laughs> so yeah, I sort of feel quite sort of conflicted by Boy George because I think ultimately, like he is. Probably the celebrity. If I was, I always have to imagine myself in that situation. Mm. And if I was in that situation, I'd probably gravitate towards um, Boy George. But also, I'm, I can't really forget that action. It was quite. But people change, and I think he's he's learned a lot. Yeah. We also don't know what the situation was, really, do we? But no, I, we weren't there. So yeah, probably the less said about it, the better, to be honest. But yeah, here's it's, it's like seminal songs in the eighties. Well, they're going through oh, Ant and Dak, <laughs> uh, just using every possible pun they can do. To, yeah. <laughs> I think I think Boy George has had a very up and down journey with his career. That's mm. him, and I think he's been through a lot. So. Yeah, I'll, I might forgive him a little mental break where he ties yeah. up the pizza delivery boy, but that's just me. <laughs> um, He's definitely a survivor. Yeah. I mean, maybe he'll win. Who, Who knows? knows? Who knows? Uh, is he in full makeup every day in the jungle? No, no, no makeup. Oh, okay. And you've been Because watching- there was that time that he just painted his whole neck in. You know, it was kind of dark, yeah. yeah, just to get rid of the double chin. Yeah. <laughs> Which is top tip. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's why I have a beard. So, <laughs> And also, doesn't it relate to what we're going to talk about shortly? Yes. Um, how to accept and love your appearance. Paint your neck black. Paint, paint your neck black. <laughs> paint it black. 
<laughs> or just your whole face. Yeah. Mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> I think that's also got no. issues. Yeah. We don't want to be cancelled just yet. Um, <laughs> what else have you been watching? The Crown? Um, I also watched uh, this beautiful film called My Policeman. Mm. Um, so it's a kind of love triangle, really. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, Harry Styles plays the policeman. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's sort of a story about like is it um, set, it's set in the fifties, set in the fifties yeah. and and the late nineties. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, so uh, before the legalization of homosexuality, so there's a lot of um, convictions of gay men, and um, that's that's how. Sorry, I'm not going to say so much about it. Right. But yeah, Rupert Everett plays the older version of. Um, Harry Styles. No, the other character. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't know Rupert Everett was in it, actually. Oh, well, I look forward to watching that. Yeah, it's um, very good. Yes. Yeah, because I'm, uh, yeah, I'm working on a story myself, which is also set in that time period. So it'll be good research for that. But shall we move on to how to love your appearance? Yeah, so... What's that noise? <laughs> it's just a dis- <laughs> So you know our disco ball that we have going into the break? Mm. I put that on my phone as my message notification. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite nice, mm-hmm. you know, just to have a little boo every now and again, isn't it? Well, it's very, well, it lifts the mood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rather than dreading a message, <laughs> you just kind of feel, oh, maybe it's a bit of disco. Anyway... I was looking, doing a bit of research as to what little feature we could do, and I f- came across this article on queervoices.com by Peter Minkoff, and, and it was all about feeling better about yourself and your appearance, which I think, I think we suffer from in the queer community a lot. Like Even his opening uh, paragraph is, the queer community have managed to put too much importance on appearance, causing mem- many members to work tirelessly to fit into a stereotypical physical look of a gay man or woman. What happens when you don't fit the mould? How can you learn to accept your natural appearance and grow to love your look, especially as you're, get- as you're getting older? This is quite an issue for mm. you know, ageing, which happens to everyone. <laughs> which we need to remind everyone of. (laughs) So um, I'm not going to go through all the top tips, but there's a few here which are quite good. So it says, reject mainstream beauty ideas. It's pretty much impossible to change the way society perceives beauty overnight, but you can change your own ideas of beauty. Reject the standards that you see in ads, movies and social media and focus more on the people around you that you admire and love and don't hesitate to express your queerness just because it doesn't fit in with the rest of the people. I think that's quite true. I think we are, like, in general, it's not just for queer people, but I think in general, particularly women as well, we're bombarded with these images of what what it should be in order to be beautiful. Mm. Have Um, you got a beauty icon? uh, No, well, I'm trying not to have that. (laughs) (laughs) no but it could be an unconventional beauty like les dawson (laughs) yeah i I can see that working out for you yeah it probably would be the best one to work out for me (laughs) have you got a beauty icon 
Nej. No. <laughs> okay, I'll move on then. <laughs> so focus on your inner worth. Too many LGBTQ people focus too much on the outer and not enough on the inner qualities. Examine things in your skills, personality, thoughts, ideas and abilities and see what you like about them. In many cases, these inequalities are more valuable and easier to improve over time than facial features and body composition. So it's kind of looking after your inner being as well as your outer being, which is probably what affects kind of body dysmorphia too much anyway. There were a couple of articles on this website, and I'll get on to another because there's an extra tip in here, which wasn't part of this article, but it was part of another article. But I'm going to tag that on to the end. And it, it also says, yeah, there's there's things which you can fix. Like if there are little things which you don't like about yourself, you can fix like your teeth. Mm. You've just had your braces done. Mm. I've had my teeth whitened. Mm. I mean, I use moisturizer and stuff and occasionally use hair dye. Mm. <laughs> Ooh, <this is> exclusive. <laughs> And they were saying even minor... Would you use a retinol? Uh, or retinoid? Uh, yes, yeah. And it was it was saying even minor cosmetic procedures it, are good, if, but do it for yourself, not other people. Do it because you're improving yourself, not mm. because you want to look good for others. Mm. I find it harder, though, because I'm a performer, so I put myself in that position of being being scrutinised by your parents, really. Mm. And I, so I can look at my face in the mirror and, and I feel feel completely fine about it. And then I see all the photos, like the last show, got loads of photos done of the show. And because I'm quite expressive in that show, mm. my face just looks horrendous because it's just all lines and, like, Whereas if I look in the mirror, it's all kind of still and looks quite mm. calmish. Do you know what I mean? But also you're forgetting that other people see you from the outside all the time. Mm. So it's only because you don't that that feels a bit weird to you. Mm. So you need Well, I, I have had that situation where I've gone like, they want they want to use a certain photo. And I'm like, can you not see that this is the worst photo <laughs> of me that ever exists? And yeah. they're like... But obviously, that's the way I look. <laughs> that's well. That's the way you looked in that moment. There's obviously good photos and bad photos, and if you can edit, then do. But yeah, it's weird how we see ourselves because we always see ourselves from the inside out rather than the outside in. And you see each other if you look in the mirror. You see each other. You see yourself in a different reverse, don't you? Yeah, it's kind of back to front. Mm. Yeah. So this, which brings me, brings me on to my next. The next bit of the article, stop the comparisons. We constantly see amazing looking people who are young and fresh and there's no point in comparing yourself to 20-year-olds when you're 10, 20 or 30 years older than them. <laughs> Even if you choose to compare yourself to actors and singers of your own age, it's important to keep in mind that they spend thousands of pounds on luxe treatments, personal trainers, cooks and even plastic surgery. There's nothing wrong with getting older and ageing gracefully. This is something all of us need to accept, including you, Tommy. <laughs> Point taken. But, but there's no harm in growing 
oh, disgracefully as well. <laughs> Once you accept your appearance and embrace all your flaws and unique features, you will see your true beauty. And when you're confident and in love with yourself, other people will follow. Bullshit. <laughs> I mean, I. So there was the, the other bit which I took took out from the other article was look in the mirror, mirror every day and celebrate what you like about yourself because we always look in the mirror and go, oh God, yeah, what? Well, what's that love handle or where's that wrinkle come from? Mm. But it's saying look every day and pick five things that you like about yourself every morning. Positive affirmations are proven to work on negative emotions and depression in cognitive therapy. So if, you, if you're looking in the mirror and looking for things that you like about yourself rather than what you don't like about yourself, it will just put you in a better mood. Next time you're looking in the mirror and you put your lipstick on, say, <laughs> I have really beautiful lips. <laughs> yeah. Will you do that for me? <laughs> would you do that for me, lovey? Would you? Would you? <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I agree with this, but I think there are things that you can do for yourself. You can go on diets, you can go to the gym. And I think if, you, if there are parts of you which you don't like, you can change them. But also I think it's about learning to accept who you are and mm. what, what, uh, and how you are and, and also, like a lot of people think they're ugly because they like, they won't go on dates and things like that. But actually, maybe there's an issue within with their personality, which is causing the. <laughs> well, maybe it's because they're so like because they're not feeling good. About, <laughs> really horrible tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe it's because they're not feeling good about themselves that that's mm. what's turning the other like the other people off. And so this is a way of kind of feeling better about your appearance. Mm. This is meant to be a positive article, Tommy. <laughs> I feel like I'm the angel tonight and you're the devil. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's that bit over. I'm um, just off to get my lips done. Okay. <laughs> We've got a special guest after the ads, haven't we? Who's coming on, Tommy? The curator from Charleston House called mm. Darren Clark. Lovely. And Darren Clark manages Charleston House. We don't know if he manages it. Well, he's like the curator, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. Um, and that was that's the home of a lot of the. Well, was the home of um, Duncan Grant, who was one of the Bloomsbury set. And we're going to be talking a little bit about his erotic drawings. Oh yes, I've seen some of them. I love them. Okay, so we'll talk about that because we we're going to have some ads, proper ads now. Well, which is why I thought. Uh, Darren would be a really good guest for us because you told me that quite often we get the National Trust advertising in our brands. Yeah. <laughs> now, now I know Charleston is not National Trust, but it's historic home. So you yeah, know, it's, just we're, trying to we're on brand. Yeah, s- swing us in that direction, <laughs> pump us up to first class. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if you don't want an ad from the National Trust, you can always do Acast Plus. Or listen on our Patreon account. Or send us some money via Kofi. Just send us some money. And uh, can anyone <laughs> buy any merchandise, for They example? can buy merchandise from our website as well. And the new logo's on there and everything. And we haven't sold anything yet. Christmas and is coming. Christmas is just around the corner. And you can have our silly mugs on a mug. So, <laughs> anyway, we're gonna, we'll be back after the break. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, so we're back. And Tommy, we've got a fabulous guest, haven't we? Absolutely fabulous. Um, would you like to introduce our fabulous guest? Um, we have Darren Clark from Charleston House. Hello. Hello, Darren. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Are you in Charleston House now? Do you live there? No, I don't. Sometimes okay. it feels like it, but I don't. I live in Brighton. <laughs> have I'm you ever Brighton. stayed the night there? I have. Once when the there was a power cut and the alarms went down, I had to stay the night. Okay. Were there any ghosts? No. No? It was, it was very surprisingly peaceful because most old houses have creaks and groans sort of at night, but it was really quiet. Okay. Any ghosts were leaving you alone that night? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Only my own ghosts follow me around. <laughs> yeah, our, our own demons. <laughs> Can you tell our listeners what Charleston what what Charleston House is? Mm. So physically, it's a very kind of vernacular, very traditional sort of seventeenth century farmhouse that sits in the middle of a field. It's about halfway between Brighton and Eastbourne, sort of near the south coast. And it was the home from 1916 of two artists, two artists, two members of the Bloomsbury Group. And they were Vanessa Bell and Duncan Grant. And they moved there at, in the middle of the First World War. So Duncan Grant was a conscientious objector. And so was his boyfriend, David Garnett. And they needed to find work on a farm or go to prison. 
So they took Charleston and they worked on a farm and Vanessa Bauer came with them and looked after the household. And they pretty much kept the house on for the rest of their lives. So it came, became this center for Bloomsbury, for these Bloomsbury group members. So Virginia Woolf, who's Vanessa Bauer's sister, Lytton Strachey, who was Duncan Grant's cousin, John Maynard Keynes, who had been Duncan Grant's lover for a while, um, Clive Bell, who was Vanessa Bauer's estranged husband, um, Roger Fry, who had been Vanessa Bauer's lover, um, and all this sort of group of people that would visit. And it was really an important place to come to, to get away from London, to get away from the crowds, to find some peace and quiet, to work. And it became really a living testament to the Bloomsbury group and to their way of life and also to their aesthetics. So the house is full of the artist's work and their designs and that of their peers. And they painted the walls and painted the furniture and the fireplaces and made their own textiles and made their own ceramics. And it's this wonderful, really sort of seductive and beautiful place to live in, um, but also to inspire visitors as well. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some of the pictures of the place and just the furnishings. I mean, it's just so vibrant. Um, and you've some of the um, furnishings have been copied, haven't they? You've done facsimiles because they're all kind of fading a little bit. And when you when you've replaced them, you've replaced them as they were new and the, the colours are so vibrant. Is that right? Yeah. There's, I mean, when the house became went into the trust, which was 1979, so quite a while ago now, it was in a real bad state of repair. So there were six years of restoration before we could open to the public. So there was a lot of uh, restoration work, conservation work, facsimile work, some textiles were reproduced, um, all sorts of different things were done. And then we maintained that conservation sort of year in, a, a, a sort of program of conservation. And then when things, I think, okay, this is getting to the point where if we don't take it off display, it will just fade to nothing we might get a, a facsimile made. So at the moment, we're working with a project supported by Mercers who are uh, for some facsimile textiles for some embroideries. And when you take those embroideries apart and you look at the backs and you look at the unfaded walls and you see how bright they were and how vibrant they were, you see that this sort of really interesting design on the front is actually really sort of knockout, mind-blowingly sort of... Um, uh, psychedelic almost mm. when it would have been new. the colors are really vibrant and the, also the lines are just very fluid and it just makes me sort of think about a sensibility that they probably would have had that was very much more like moving away from kind of a restricted idea which i think probably to do with their class was part of that as well like that they were able to be free people in a way do you do you, would you concur with mm. that yeah, I mean, they were all, they were all came from privileged backgrounds. They, I mean, pretty much the, the group met, it was the men who met in Cambridge. Um, they were all, came from wealthy backgrounds. They were all privileged. They had, but then they had this sense that they wanted to leave their lives in a different way. They were all coming to age, coming of age as the century was ending, as Queen Victoria was dying. And they sort of had this, this need for new sort of, uh, a new way of life, one that sort of didn't have the pomposity and the um, uh, the, the sort of the, the hypocrisy of the Victorian age. Mm. Um, and a lot of the members of the Bloomsbury group were queer, and so they were looking for new ways uh, of sort of loving as well as living. And that sort of echoed in Charleston and this relationship between Duncan Grant, who was very much a queer figure, and Vanessa Bell, um, who was a straight woman, and they had a love affair, but they also had this intense friendship and this creative relationship. And yeah, I think Bloomsbury echoes, uh, Charleston echoes that kind of Bloomsbury aesthetic 
that sort of questing for new, not just new ways of living, but new uh, visual aesthetics. So Roger Fry championed um, post-impressionism and brought over um, Van Gogh and Gauguin and Cezanne sort of en masse for the first time to England in 1910. And these three artists were dead by 1910, but they were sort of, they had no real presence in the UK, but suddenly he brought over this huge exhibition, completely blew the minds of young artists, completely changed the way that they were working. I mean, outraged sort of older people, but really sort of established this exciting, vibrant, colorful, free, sexy sort of um, way of looking at things, of making things that hadn't been around before. Yeah, and do you think Duncan Grant was influenced by that? Because I was looking at his his pictures, and the use of colour is amazing, and I it reminded me of Van Gogh, and because I have the same colour blindness that Van Gogh had, so I that's why I love his art. I think because I see it how he saw it, but also I I love those vibrant colours. And do you think he was heavily influenced by that? I think he was. I mean, you see this period from about 1910, so the first post-impressionist exhibition in 1910, all the way through the 1910s, that he's sort of really experimenting, trying on so many different hats and um, pushing pushing the envelope and doing other sort of um, cliches. <laughs> he was sort of um, trying, uh, trying so many different styles. It was such an intense period of experimentation. And, and he's influenced by those French post-impressionists, but he's also been influenced by sort of Byzantine mosaics. He's sort of he's sort of traveling around Europe. He's going to North Africa. He's going to Tunisia. He's sort of um, seeing all these different influences and bringing them back and putting them into his art and into his designs. And it's such an um, such an exciting period. They set up the Omega workshops in 1913. So Roger Fry, Vanessa and Duncan Grant as directors. And this is like continuing that project of bringing post-impressionist aesthetic into the home. And Charleston is the perfect example of that. So they would produce um, furniture and textiles and children's toys and ceramics, and all sorts of things for the home. So you could get, continue the, not just the paintings on the wall, but your whole room, your whole house becomes an artwork. Can you tell us a bit about like how, what happens sort of during lockdown? And, and because I, I, I heard stories about like, how you discovered more of Duncan's drawings and and how they might have had a positive influence on the on the future of the trust. So at the big, the beginning of the pandemic, we found ourselves in a really precarious situation, and we rely on our visitor income for pretty much our support. We don't get any public um, government money um, except for special projects and. We just sold a lot of tickets for our annual festival in May. So we had to sort of give that money back. We didn't have any money coming in from the public. And we were in this really difficult position and it was very touch and go and we were all on furlough. But then it sort of, there was this huge big swell of support that came from people that loved Charleston. It just sort of started the ball rolling. And one of our supporters that we've known for a while, um, who had a collection of, uh, of works that we knew about and that we borrowed had these incredible drawings by Duncan Grant, these erotic drawings that had had this extraordinary history. So they had been given by Duncan Grant on the 2nd of May, 1959 to his friend, Edward Labar, who was a fellow artist. Um, And he had kept them. And after Edward Labar died, 
they went to another friend of theirs, Erdley Knowles, who was an artist and a gallery owner. And then when he died, he left them to his friend, uh, Matej Radev, who'd been a Hungarian refugee and had come over to, to London. And Erdley had helped him train as a picture framer and he had been a really successful picture framer. And then when Matej died, he left them to his husband, he left them to Norman Coates. And, uh, and Norman had these incredible collection of erotic drawings, uh, 422 of them. Um, that Duncan Grant had made in the late 40s and the 1950s. And um, and we, Duncan, um, Norman didn't really know what to do with them. He wasn't sure whether they should be made public or whether he should keep them, whether he should leave them to a friend and that kind of to follow that tradition. And um, our director was talking to him and he sort of suggested if you want these drawings to A, be looked after and kept and and kept for perpetuity if you want these joints to be made public and to enter into a public collection then um charleston could have these drawings and we would sort of look after them and we would celebrate them and it was such a really generous gift of norman to give them to us and a really enlightened thing to do as well because they are such powerful beautiful and powerful drawings and they are they sort of they capture duncan grant's um interest in sexuality in sex in uh in queer sex especially they're kind of quite kinky aren't they they cover so many different areas so they are there's sort of there's some kinky stuff there's a few whips there's some quite complicated sort of almost um acrobatic uh, permutations of people but they're all really there were some really beautiful very intimate very central very sensitive um drawings as well and um it was such and it, and yeah so we he generously gave them to us we very gratefully accepted them and it gave out such a, a strong message to the public um there was a big press we did a press release and there was a, a lot of press attention to them and it showed that charleston was still here that it was very much uh, a thriving organization that it was looking to the future that people had faith in us as an organization that we were going to survive and faith in that we weren't just going to survive but that we were going to thrive and really do exciting things in the future coming back that i mean those those paintings are beautiful. The drawings are beautiful. I've seen some of them. Were they kept in private collections because they were queer? Do you think that was the reason? Because a lot, I mean, was many of Duncan Grant's paintings overtly queer that were on general display? So these were very private, and Duncan Grant wrote on them, these drawings are very private. Right. And they were illegal at that time. So Duncan yeah. Grant was born in 1885, so the year of the Labashare Agreement, so the year that all sex between men was made illegal, no matter sort of if there was consent or anything, it was just illegal. And if you were found with, I mean, if you were found with love letters at that period between two men, you could be sent to prison, let alone sort of pornography, which these could be seen as. Um, So yeah, they would have been very illegal to possess them. And then there was also a sense of that with an older, maybe sort of generation that these works weren't important to Duncan Grant's sort of artistic career to his over, right. over, don't say that over, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> um, that they were sort of seen as trivial or not important or something, a doodling rather than a, a serious artwork. Yeah. 
and but then then but it sort of makes me think about like not only was it communicating that you know that charleston has got an eye on the future and and everything but also the importance of like different types of relationships within heritage kind of frame mm. that the importance of yeah. that do you know what i mean definitely i mean i think as an organization we're so we're physically very close to um, brighton which has a huge and exciting and diverse population and so we sort of we are focusing on our queer programming and uh, doing really interesting exciting things with that if i say so myself and the current exhibition that is based on the duncan grant drawings is part of that bringing the his- history of bloomsbury and charleston but also looking at it within a contemporary context so we've been commissioned uh, contemporary artists to respond to those drawings so showing how relevant they are to to the now sort of and working with local communities and local populations to make sure that we are offering things that people want um not just what we think they want and some of the the what the the image that you've gone with for the website is quite like it's absolutely beautiful but it is quite like (laughs) (laughs) it's quite overt it's quite overt (laughs) and i was just like thinking oh that's that's a really interesting image to go for for like a, a heritage space um and have you had any negative responses to that uh, we've had a few images taken down on Instagram. Um, and really, I mean, we were careful not to have any sort of, I mean, there's no fellatio, there's no anal on the, on our marketing, <laughs> <laughs> even sort of like, um, flaccid willies and nipple licking is sort of, you get, uh, well, we, from we we once had a post by museum bums flagged on Instagram. So, mm. and it's basically like, <laughs> It's statues. <laughs> it's not real. It's art. So I think, yeah, it's weird when art gets flagged like that. I just think that's a beautiful story that these these works of art have, have kind of been handed privately to to people, and then suddenly now they can actually be on display. And I they've think got that, that, they're having their moment. They're having their moment, and it's and it's it's almost like the right time for it to be on display as well. It, it's. I think that's a really beautiful story. How did you get involved with Charl- Charleston House? Sorry, um, I've been around for quite a while now. I think, God, almost twenty years. So I did a. I did a mid thirties um, career change, and I went back to university. And I thought I'd like to work in a museum. It sort of wasn't wasn't something I thought I could do, sort of with my background. And but then, sort of, yeah, with the confidence of getting older, I think actually maybe I could do that. And then, so I got my first job at Charleston 20 years ago, and I've been doing, worked in lots of different areas within the organization. And I ended up doing a doctorate uh, with Charleston and with Sussex University on Vanessa Valen Duncan Grant. And then uh, eventually became curator, I think, eight or nine years ago. And, uh, and it's been quite an exciting eight or nine years. So we, we had a big capital project. We were building the restoring barns and making these wonderful spaces for both performance, but also for um, cafes and visitor bits. And we built new uh, exhibition galleries. So I've been um, running the exhibition program until this year. Uh, so the first four years of that. Um, so really um, doing different things um, within the organization over that time. Yeah, it was one of those things where I had no real interest in Bloomsbury when I started. I was looking, I was looking for a job, then I found a job, but then it sort of it got 
its claws and it gets it, its claws into you. And it's sort of, um, it is very seductive Bloomsbury, but it's also very exciting. And you sort of, it shows you a different world and a different ideas. Um, and, and yeah, you're soon, you're soon seduced. You're soon, uh, it soon got you. <laughs> yeah i mean i i feel completely also also very seduced by it and i but also i find it quite hard when i feel think of being a working class person and then getting seduced by all these really amazingly rich people but that are living these wonderful lives um because they could yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i, I guess so. we've I mean, come a long way <laughs> in certain regards yeah i think we can i mean we're it is easier to live the life you want to live now. Yeah. We can live our lives. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic having you on the show, Darren. How, how can people find out about Charleston House and come and see this wonderful exhibition? Yes, so we've got a website, www.charleston.org.uk. We've got a wonderful Instagram, uh, Charleston. Um, and the exhibition's called Very Private Question Mark. It's on till March, so all over Christmas and New Year. If you need to escape from family, come and see that. And the exhibition is on uh, Wednesdays to Sundays. So it's Duncan Grant's drawings, but we've also got new work by Ajamu X, wonderful works by Ajamu X, by Tim Walker, uh, Samaya Critchlow, Harold Offe, um, Katie Salmon, um, Alison Wilding, um, and, uh, and also uh, a new installation by Linda Sterling in our South Gallery, also inspired by Charleston and uh, and uh, duncan grant so a whole sort of exhibition program that's uh, sort of really lightens up on these sort of really horrible wet gray days just mm. to go into those galleries and see all those cocks and bums and also, <laughs> i mean that's what we want i'm definitely coming down to see the yeah. cocks and bums <laughs> have you seen um, my policeman i've not seen it yet no i just wondered because uh, you're in brighton and it's um yeah it's filmed in brighton and it was filmed and, in brighton yeah yeah and we, yeah, we were talking about sort of like different kind of versions of love triangles earlier on in terms of like and it made me think about um vanessa and and duncan and yeah yeah and Maybe. there were policemen involved as well i bet there were <laughs> <laughs> darren are you gonna stay on for some queens of agony questions yes i'd love to i mean it'd be rude not to right Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll do some Queens of Agony. I will do a very big gong. Right. So I hope you're ready for this. Dear old Queens, we're going to include you in this, Darren. <laughs> My honour. Is that okay? <laughs> Straight girlfriend jealous of a boyfriend's gay friend? Question mark. Just curious if the old queens of Everett have had experience with this, or think if it if it's something that could reasonably happen. Let's say a guy's a gay guy's best friend is straight and attractive. Gay guy knows his friend is straight, and nothing gay slash serious is going to happen between them. If the straight friend has a girlfriend, might she feel jealous, threatened by the gay guy trying to take her man? A straight example of this is a girlfriend taking issue if her boyfriend is very close to another girl, even if they both swear it's platonic. 
Not saying it's absolutely impossible for the girlfriend to get jealous or suspicious, but do you think it could reasonably happen? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> so hang on a minute. <laughs> just, so, so just just saying that the if there's a straight couple and they've got a gay and the guy's got a gay best friend, mm. will the girl be jealous of that? And is this actually happening, or are they? I don't. Well, they're saying <laughs> not, <laughs> but it feels like it might be, <laughs> right? Mm. <laughs> but all they're asking it for us is: is it absolutely impossible for the girlfriend to get jealous or suspicious? Yeah. Uh, well, I would say yes. It's impossible for her. No, to it's get... not. It's not impossible. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> No, I guess it's not impossible, but I get, I think if you if you're strong in a relationship, you don't get jealous of people's friends, do you? I have a lot of people that are friends that get jealous of their other friends. Do you ever have that? Yeah, I guess that can happen. Yeah, I think that's the the thing that you could be worried that your friend is being more intimate, not necessarily sexually, but is confiding in them more or doing the things that you think you should be doing with that friend or your boyfriend or your girlfriend. But then this this brings me to the whole question of, like, what is a relationship? And you can't expect to get everything from one person. You, you get certain things from friends, and if you have an open relationship, you get other things from, from other lovers as well. So I don't... It's a very... It's almost a very binary way of thinking... Um, but lots of people are bi- quite binary in mm, that, and I think yeah. that I think that I think that there would be a certain type of person that would find that they would want to. They could probably understand like their partner having lots of different types of friend, but they would want the kind of the main main stuff to be about them mm. or, or yeah. their relationship. It's like if you you are now my boyfriend. This is the job description for boyfriend. So yeah. you need to do all these things. And yeah, if you don't do these, then you are not meeting that obligation. Yeah. But then d- that's an impossible task. Is <laughs> but it's most, I mean, most heterosexuals, that's a bit um, sweeping. But yeah, I think... It, heteronormative. It's heteronormative relationship. <laughs> yeah. You sort of, that's what you buy in. That's yeah. But yeah, I, I guess so. But uh, But also I think there's a lot of... I I think I know quite a few straight couples where they have, uh, like, the husband has a close gay friend and they're not worried about it at all because they know that, A, nothing is going to happen. And if it does... And B and C and D. And if it does happen, (laughs) then it's something different that she can't actually offer. So So is it really encroaching on... (laughs) Is it really a danger to that relationship? I don't know. It's very much a case-by-case scenario. I think so too. I think it depends on the relationship as to whether that the girlfriend's going to get jealous or not. I mean, maybe she'll be, maybe she'll find it hot and want to watch if they do yeah. get off. Who knows? Do you think there was this kind of scenario with, with Duncan Grant and his relationships? Oh, yeah. I mean, there were lots of, he had a lot of lovers. He had sort of really serious lovers and very, a lot, a lot of, sort of casual lovers um and Vanessa well his lovers would get jealous is Vanessa Bell would get jealous I mean there were there was a lot of jealousy with Lytton as well wasn't there Lytton and between Lytton and and Duncan Grant yeah they all seem to be jealous of each other I I mean it's 
relationships love is yeah i hate i hate jealousy i think i've been a very jealous person in the past and i try so i'm i mean i'm a lot less jealous than i used to be i try so hard not to be i find it such a destructive emotion Um, you don't strike me as a very jealous person darren i try not to be um and i but it's sometimes it you just it just grabs you, doesn't it? It just I guess so. Yeah, a little does. pang of yeah. oh, why are they? Why is he with me and not with? Why is he with them and not with me? Rather, but what are they doing? Uh, why is? <laughs> well, well, yeah, why? I like the idea of why is why are they with me and not with him? <laughs> <laughs> Darren, do you have a partner? Yeah, I've got a husband. Okay. Of 30 years we've been together this next week. Wow. And I have a boyfriend of 10 months. Wow. There you go. Yeah. Very modern. It's not bad, is it? That's all right. Very modern. <laughs> I blame Bloomsbury. I blame Bloomsbury too. <laughs> do you have that on, written on a T-shirt? I blame Bloomsbury. I should do it. I'm you should do well, that, yeah. well, I mean, you know, if you want to make some money, get some merch out. <laughs> Although nobody seems to buy our merch, so who knows? But the shop oh. is very good at Charleston, isn't it? The shop is incredible, and it's also available online. Oh, so I would definitely Ka-ching. visit that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sometimes when I go to these places, I just go straight for the gift shop. Well, it's one of the best places, isn't it? You get, you kind of get everything. Yeah, I always I either want to fr- see the best. Yeah, I want a fridge mag- magnet or a t-shirt. Always. Yeah. Well, the shop should have the best the highlights from the collection, the museum where you're going to. So you can just go in there, you've seen everything, and mm. go to the cafe. Yeah. Have you got, has Charleston got a cafe as well? Oh, yeah, it's got an incredible cafe. Okay, great. I'm I'm so coming. <laughs> You're going to come. Yeah, definitely, so, uh... definitely. I need to see see this exhibition. Okay, shall we move on to the next one? I think we, let's, yeah, let's, like, brush over the jealousy. I'd like to, I'd like to see if we can weave, like, all of these... All these um, questions. All these problems into the, like <laughs> something that went on with the Bloomsbury set. Shall we? Yeah, that's, I, I mean, that's, that's what very I've, easy. that's kind of what I'm trying to do. <laughs> I mean, some of them link into each other. It's almost as if someone's thought about this. Anyway, dear old queens, <laughs> talking during sex. The title says it all. How do you feel about talking during sex? Are you more the silent type or casually expressing verbally your satisfaction while it's happening obviously not all the time but occasionally occasionally for me (laughs) well yeah i think it's probably occasionally isn't it (laughs) i mean what other things could you do while having sex do you think uh, duncan grant was painting while having sex (laughs) is that where all those erotic Um, drawings came from you think so he had a a pencil and a mirror (laughs) i mean i'd find that quite distracting (laughs) yeah i think so yeah or maybe it was quite hot maybe that's a kink that i haven't explored um it depends what kind of sex you are having but you could also smoke a cigarette but no you smoke a cigarette after don't you i mean no i guess you can smoke a cigarette during sex i have done that i have done that yeah um or a joint or a joint or you know, or a lot of you know, if you're in all the garb, maybe you'll have a cigar. Ooh. Yeah, 
Sniff some poppers. Sniff some poppers. Have a glass of wine. That's definitely on the cards. So there's lots of things you can do during sex. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't. It, you know, it doesn't. And have, what I'm saying is, and that that might that might start the conversation going. <laughs> yeah. Watch some telly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then generally, it's with the sand down. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, talking during sex. I mean, I don't necessarily want to have a conversation about the weather well yeah well they mean sex. talking about non-related I'm conversations a, i think they mean like, like oh we've run out of milk <laughs> that, would, that would definitely put me off but expressing what you like and maybe what you want during sex i guess sex. it depends what kind of milk they've run out of yeah oh, i mean it'd be oat milk for me so um, <laughs> i'd be definitely getting my oats <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Darren. Do you like to talk during sex? Um, I can be quite noisy, yeah, but not necessarily in celery. Not necessarily in coherent sentences. Utterance. Okay. <laughs> Utterances. But do Utterances. you? Do, but you verbalise what you want. Not phrases. Um. God, I don't know. No, probably not. Okay. Unless it depends on the role. Right. On the occasion. Depends. What? Yeah. What? What scenarios yeah. being played out? Mm, yeah. yeah. Okay. Have you yeah. got a little anecdote to share about any of the Bloomsbury set talking during sex? Talking during sex. I was just thinking about Lytton doing the kind of crucifixion stuff. Mm. I mean, that's quite a dom sub kind of thing. So I imagine there would be there would be a lot instructions of instructions. Instructions. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think if kinky if kinky stuff is going on, then there's definitely mm. some verbalisation there. Yeah. Mm. Just yeah. Oh, lower, no higher. Yeah. No. Yeah. That sounds like play your cards. Golden right. shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, also you've got to have the safe word, haven't you? Yes. That's right. What Just, is what is, is the safe word? Bloomsbury. Bloomsbury. <laughs> <laughs> Virginia Woolf. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, th this next question is kind of linked to the previous que question. So, dear old queens, from a dribble to a squirt, after a pretty long dry spell where I, 41, hooked up with a guy a couple of days ago and kind of surprised myself... There was no penetration, but we climaxed four times, three at night and once in the morning. Even when I was a lot younger, I would just get a little dribble and assumed it was about a mixture of age, diet, depression, etc. But I was surprised on this occasion that it was a lot. He was a very passionate and verbal guy had a great body and everything, and it just felt like we were really compatible. And I'm wondering now if I've just never been fully aroused before. I've had long dry spells before, so don't think it's just the result of not having sex for a while. Have the old queens ever had this sort of surprise? <laughs> Why do we have to answer that? <laughs> well, I mean... I think I have had that kind of surprise. Mm, I don't think I have. I think, I think, but I think I have had 
I think I, I've had good sex when I've had some bad sex when I was younger, but I also had good sex when I was younger, and I've had some not great sex when I've been older, and some really great sex when I've been older. I think after a while of not so great sex, you have really good sex, then it's a pleasant surprise, isn't it? Someone told me that, like, when you're younger and you ejaculate, it's like a big squirt and a, and a lot of liquid and the liquid is sort of clearer and then as you get older it's kind of more gloopy and becomes like a very whiter colour mm. I've not experienced that myself I don't know I guess it depends on what you've been eating <laughs> but, but, I, I, but I think you can have I think I've been pleasantly surprised as I've been older that um, things have happened which I, I thought were over and now they're not <laughs> What do you think, Darren? I think, yeah, if you have a long, sustained and highly sexually charged time, you can come a lot, a surprising amount, a surprisingly large amount. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're never too old. Are you familiar with the it. website Squirt? I am a bit. You're going to ask every single one of our guests that. That's my only, <laughs> my only line of inquiry. <laughs> so how do we link this into the Bloomsbury set? <laughs> I just think it's maybe something to do with this sort of like, you know, gushing fluidity of the lines. Mm. Oh, very good. Let's go with yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just, this guy, I think it's great. You know, obviously he needs to be finding more people that he's attracted to and has well, that kind of a said, sex with. Why Why hasn't he gone back for more? Well, uh, <laughs> but yeah, maybe he has. Maybe he was so shocked. <laughs> he didn't Don't want to strain himself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, final question. I'm sure we can link this in. Oh, yeah. To the Bloomsbury this is, yeah. set. This is ideal for... Linking in with the Bloomsbury set. Dear old queens, what is your favourite sensual pleasure that is not explicitly sexual? Mine is having someone wash my hair and or give me a scalp massage. Just something about it is so calming and relaxing. So a sensual pleasure which isn't necessarily sexual, but obviously feels really nice. I've got two. Have you? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Just the two? <laughs> well, they both involve fags and booze, so that's a bit... Okay. I don't want to create the wrong impression of myself. <laughs> okay. um, but I do like it when someone likes a cigarette for you. Yeah. Um, and, and also I like it when someone pours a drink for me. But I like but it that specifically a... when... You know, if you you were at a crowded party, yeah, and you've slept with someone, but nobody really knows about it in the room, and then they come and they and they've just poured you a drink without saying, "Would you want a drink or anything?" They just they poured you it and yeah. they've given it to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that's nice. That's a nice. That's almost. I mean, I wouldn't say that's sensual, but that's definitely a nice feeling. But I guess it is sensual, isn't it? Because it's a feeling. I think, well, this. The lighting the cigarette feels sensual. Yeah. Okay. What about you, Darren? Um, I think, I mean, there's something about going to the barber, especially the Turkish barber, and having the cutthroat razor 
and mm. that's when it's so close to your skin and it is a little scary but at the same time feels sort of so nice. intimate yeah and yeah and getting your ears burnt which is quite an interesting sensual experience yes i've, I've never I've done that but i want to have a i've had that done mm. i found it a little bit scary but it is but it is nice yeah um, I, yeah, I love going to the hairdresser. My mum used to cut my hair until I left home. Mm. So I didn't go to the hairdressers. So when I moved to Bristol, it was one of the first things which I kind of did. And I just loved it. I think it's a nice little, it's a little pamper. And I think yeah. that's that's a really nice thing. I also love having a massage. Um, mm. And I do that quite regularly because I just think it, it just sorts my body out. Uh, and it's so relaxing. But I, I also like meditating and that I find that quite I actually find that sometimes an orgasmic experience. Boy George was meditating the other night on I'm a celebrity. Really? But I've, I sometimes I think medita it's different, but also meditation is better than sex. Would you concur with that, Darren? Uh no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's different. I do like sex, obviously, but I but also there's there's certain times when you meditate and you get onto a kind of higher plane. It's quite euphoric. Mm. I can't. I haven't got the concentration for it. But that's the whole point. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got the uh, the I, patience. I haven't. Got the, I can't just switch off. But that. But that's the thing. You that the more you do it, like sometimes when I meditate, I can't. And but you just have to keep doing it until you get to a point where you do. Uh, and then it can be quite euphoric. Last night I was lying in bed and I was trying to focus on the breathing. Yeah. I was sort of taking really slow breaths in and out. And um, it was just really boring. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the whole thing. You just meant to switch off and you're just thinking about the breathing. And that's what helps you to switch off. And then, but the thing is, is that once you do switch off, other stuff happens. I put Which on an audio boring. book. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, but then that's audio not book of breathing. That is that is not <laughs> meditating. <laughs> that's listening to an audio book. <laughs> um, so, what sensual pleasures do you think the Bloomsbury set might have done, other than sex? Um. Oh, blimey! I think they had quite a sensual lives. I think there's a lot of. Was there a lot I of? Set, I reckon there's a lot of touching of velvet. Yeah, soft furnishings. Yeah, like, I think I think quite a bit of linen. I think they're. I think they liked it a bit rough. Oh really? The sensualness, sensualness. Mm. Mm. A linen smock and a nice coarse cotton underwear. <laughs> oh, the folding of a of a linen tablecloth. Yeah, maybe a nice bit of embroidery. Maybe the embroidery, the embroidery needle going in and out. Yeah, that's also quite meditative. Meditative, mm. I would have said, but uh, as well as sensual. Yeah, I like being under a, a tent and listening to the rain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's. I mean, listening to the rain is a good. I mean, maybe that's that's the sort of soundtrack you should listen to if you're trying to meditate. I listen if if I when I go when I actually do go to sleep I listen to the ocean on Alexa. Oh, she switched off. I can say Alexa without her. <laughs> doing it. Yeah. Without her farting. <laughs> 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 what 
what get what gets you to sleep? You listen to the podcast. Is this what you listen to to go to sleep? To go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Tommy. I don't know. I use wine and whiskey. Wine and whiskey. Okay. Yeah. What whiskey are you into? Because I I like a whiskey, but I but I don't really know anything about it, so I just go for the. I like Irish ones. I like the softer ones. Mm. Not too keen on the hard ones, the rough ones. Yeah, something a bit like, mellow is like good. The gay ones. Yeah. I prefer a mellow whiskey. Myself. How much would you spend on a whiskey? Little as possible. Mm. Twenty quid if it's on offer down the co-op. Yeah. Okay. Well, you heard it here first. I was going to yeah. say that. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a link in the description. Because <laughs> I'm quite, also quite like to go out with a little with a hip flask with some whiskey in mm. my bag. Yeah. Just in case, what I get caught, cut short. To little, caught short. <laughs> you take your hip flask to little. No, on a night out. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, right, okay, great. Well, with that, I think we might have come to the end of the podcast. Um, Darren, thank you so much. You've been so enlightening and a joy to have on the show. And. Brilliant advice, I thought. Yeah, brilliant advice. Well, how's it been actually being in the throne room compared it's to listening like a, to it? Oh, it's like a, it's like a, it's quite a, a meta experience, I think, possibly, <laughs> whatever that means. But it's like it's been a dream come true. It has been. Oh, bless will you. you be yeah. listening to this I, one? I will, and I will tell all my friends. Okay, <laughs> make, make sure you do. And if you need a third career, you could actually go into counselling. I think. Into counselling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Art, art therapy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bloomsbury therapy. I mean, you have to link it into the yeah. Bloomsbury set. Yeah, Bloomsbury art therapy. Yeah. Every Meditation problem. Yeah, every problem. And then you get... As a, yeah. As a Bloomsbury lining. <laughs> yeah. Well, Virginia Woolf had a... If you want an opinion on anything, Virginia Woolf has it. So definitely. Definitely. Darren, thank you so much. Please say goodbye to our lovely audience. Bye-bye, lovely audience. Thank you. <laughs> Tommy, please say goodbye to our lovely audience. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Goodbye, lovely audience. We will catch you next time on What That Old Queen. You have been listening to What That Old Queen? Written and presented by Tom Marshman and Bernie Hodges. The show was produced by Bernie Hodges for Hodge Podcasting in 2022. If you have a question for the old queens, or you'd like to be a guest, or you want to sponsor a show and give us lots of money, you can email hello at thatoldqueen.com or find us on Facebook Instagram or Twitter. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.